Trigger warning. This week's episode of My Favorite Movie Is contains discussions of abuse, suicide, and starvation. If you or a loved one is struggling with your mental health or being abused, there are resources to get help in the description. Remember, you are not alone. Any passionate movie fan will tell you that deciding your all-time favorite movie is a painstaking process. Most of you listening probably have, say, two or three choices that you bounce between, and that just depends on the day. But what happens when somebody's favorite movie isn't their favorite by choice? Now, I know what you're thinking. What, what does that even mean? What does that even, what does that even look like? Well, sometimes when you deeply connect with a movie, it doesn't always bring you joy. Sometimes it opens old wounds. It brings back deeply repressed emotions. It shows you things about yourself that you aren't quite yet ready to process. Sometimes it can scare you, especially if it's a horror movie. Now, when I say horror movie, you're probably thinking of a slasher or a creature feature, maybe even a ghost story. But today's film is none of those things. In fact, by stripping itself of all of those tropes, it became something more terrifying than anything my guest, who's a true horror aficionado, had ever seen up to this point. It spoke to her struggles and anxieties so deeply that the film became a part of her. It became inextricably linked to her. And when I invited her on my show, she knew she had to talk about this movie, even if it necessarily didn't make her happy to do so. That film is Hereditary, a devastatingly tragic family drama that taps into an entirely new generation of horror and exposes it from the inside out. And my guest, illustrator and medical professional, Sanary Autumn, is the perfect person to talk about it. Not just because she's awesome, and a longtime friend, and incredibly talented, but because everything that this movie is about ties directly into her own lived experience. I guarantee you, nobody can provide more insight, analysis, and understanding of this modern horror masterwork than her. And she's going to share all of that with you right now. Hello and welcome to My Favorite Movie Is, a podcast celebrating our favorite movies through fresh, positive perspectives from passionate movie lovers. I'm your host and fellow movie lover, Larry Freed. And every week I sit down with a new cinephile as they share the life-changing experiences behind their all-time favorite movie, or whatever comes closest. Through their stories, you will gain brand new, modern insights into some of the most talked about movies of all time, all while deepening your love and appreciation for cinema and reaffirming the power of filmmaking. Thank you so much for being here. We know that there are plenty of other movie podcasts out there, and we are so lucky that you have chosen us to spend some time with today. Before we get started, just know that if you haven't seen the movie we're talking about today, don't worry, you can still continue to listen to this episode spoiler-free for now. I mean, there will be a point where we will have to get into the nitty-gritty, and when that does happen, we will give you a proper spoiler warning for those of you who want to go into this film as fresh as possible. But for those of you who did your homework, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of My Favorite Movie Is. Hi, my name's Sanary Autumn, and my favorite movie is Hereditary. I've always just had this connection to horror movies, and I think 
is this sense of me craving things that don't necessarily have a happy ending. And that's crazy to say because most people watch films because they want to feel better. They want to see someone do great. They want to see someone achieve their goals. I personally enjoy when things just don't work out because that's real life, you know? You're not, you're not always going to be able to accomplish what you set out, no matter what that may be. I was never really introduced to films like that up until I got older and I could comprehend what films were in a sense, you know? Like it stopped being something that I just like was consuming and something that I had like active thoughts about. And one of my like first film memories I remember is watching Saw for the first time with my sibling. And it terrified the shit out of me. Like, I don't know what I was on. And I remember like being horrified, but also like intrigued in a sense. And I remember I begged my mom, to, I think this is when like Saw 3 came out. I remember I had begged my mom to go rent it from Blockbuster. And she was like, you're not going to watch it. You're not going to watch it. You're too scared. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to watch it. I got no joke. I think maybe three minutes into the film before they had to turn it off because I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, look at me now. <laughs> look at you. Now you love you love Saw. Oh, I fucking love Saw. Yeah. It's one of the, like, I think it's like one of your favorite movie franchises of all time. It is. It really is, ironically. And I think that's what started my early, you know, desire to see how far we can push, you know, these topics without it being gratuitous. But I didn't seriously get into horror until college. We went to school together. Yeah, we went to college together. And you studied design. Yeah, I studied design and I also studied cinema studies. Was that just something that came up in childhood? Was there a specific experience that got you interested in it? Oh, I've always been a drawer. Like, I've always been artistically inclined from a very young age. The band Gorillaz is actually what got me super into drawing and stuff like that, because I was like, holy shit, these people come alive. And then, you know, back when Cartoon Network used to show Studio Ghibli movies, you know, that also got my love for art and illustration to flourish. And I think also, in a way, it was like my way of escaping certain things going on in my life. I, growing up, was quiet. I didn't necessarily have a lot of friends. And while I didn't have necessarily the most positive upbringing at times, I do feel like not to expose my family, you know, drama or whatever. But I do feel like the relationship I have with my mother and father and, and everything, I feel like that subconsciously was a driving force in my, I guess, quest of consuming things that made me feel validated in my own trauma mm. and mm -hmm. I think people have such a disdain for horror movies because it focuses on that dark side of human nature and a lot of people mm. don't want to look at that horror has this really interesting way of being almost 
therapeutic <laughs> mm-hmm. when you start to think of it in a sense of wow like this trauma I'm going through I'm seeing it I used to struggle really badly with my mental health and when we saw hereditary actually mm-hmm. that was the peak decline <laughs> of my mental sanity and I feel like that is also why I have such a I don't want to say like like love for it but I'm very fond of the movie why wouldn't you say love um I say fond because I don't necessarily love the fact that I find it so relatable uh, okay. I'm fond so of it's your it. it's your favorite movie not necessarily by choice yeah You know, I'll just I'll just say it. I went through a really traumatic death in my family. There is nothing worse in the world than losing someone and not being able to celebrate their life in a sense in a funeral because we had the pandemic and um, everything. And so I feel like that was the start of both the decline of my mental health but the growth of me as a person because i hit rock bottom y'all i'm not gonna dive into deep of how hard i hit that bottom but your your girl was she was not happy she was not in a good position i'm gonna be honest when my family member died lost all interest in art didn't want to do anything with it because they were what encouraged me they 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 were actually the person that told me to pursue art right, yeah. um, as a further career. And, totally and normal reaction to have, I think. And when they, yeah, and when they died, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want any connection to it. I don't even want to think about it. Um, because I'm going to be honest, when they died, a piece of me did die with them. Yeah. Um, and it, that's hard to come back from. And it took a lot of late night conversations and crying in the shower and staring off into the distance like I was in a music video (laughs) for me to be like, you got to get your shit together, not just for the person you lost, but for yourself, like seriously. It's super funny. We were talking about this the other night. What I'm doing now correlates so much to like again connecting back to my love for horror and everything i started working in a hospital and i really liked it i liked helping people but then i started getting interested in well what happens when you die at the hospital what can you do after that to bring the family comfort and then i started thinking my aunt takes um little odd jobs here and there in a funeral home, like fixing up the bodies. Um, and, by, and by fixing up, I mean, you know, doing their hair and like makeup and, you know, making them presentable for the funeral. I, I was always interested in that, you know, and I thought like maybe maybe that's something I, I want to do. I want to do. Recently, I, you know, started working a little bit more in the morgue and helping with that aspect of patient care, you could say. And I love it. I actually find extreme enjoyment in my job. 
And it's completely different than what I went to school for. Most people at work, when they ask me, what did you go to school for? And, you know, I tell them art. They're like, what the hell are you doing here? That's what they always say. Yeah, they're like, always. what are you doing? And it's like, well, you know, things happen. Life happened. That's a pretty good summation of what happened to my friend Sinari. Life happened. And despite our best efforts, life always happens. But it's about how we respond to it happening that defines who we are. Now, some of us respond to it with determination and courage and maturity, like Sinari. And others, um, don't. In hereditary, unspeakable tragedy hits the Graham family like a speeding freight train. It's the kind of instant trauma portrayed so viscerally by Ari Aster's tension-filled direction that would make any person just completely unravel. But for someone like Annie Graham, portrayed by Tony Collette, someone who has already repressed so much trauma from her own family history, it could unleash something horrifying. Those of us who have seen Hereditary know that there are, let's call them otherworldly forces at play. And some would argue that they're hidden beneath all of these traumas, but I would like to think that they're hidden in plain sight. I mean, Ari Aster leaves plenty of details and Easter eggs for those of you who dare rewatch this incredibly haunting film. But what lies underneath the horrors of Hereditary, what lies at the roots of its family tree, so to speak, is the story of a fractured family, one that is unable to process grief, resentment, and generational trauma. And that's why this is Sinari's favorite film, but not by choice. That's why it stands above the creature features and the torture porn and all of that, because she understands these horrors all too well, and how Hereditary tackles it like no other horror film before it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sinari Autumn on Hereditary. I assume you have a number of favorite films that are older, like classic films. When did you know that this movie was like, it had taken the number one spot? Because I'm I'm just interested in it because it's very rare that you watch a film that's newer that takes that top spot because so many people's favorite movies are like the... The classics. The childhood classics, the the nostalgia classics. classics. So for you, what was that like feeling like? Like, did you know it immediately? Did it it come in like future viewings? What was the process in discovering that Hereditary was number one for you? Let me just say, I'm not a nostalgia queen. I don't really put focus on hyping something up just because it's old. But I knew it was a favorite of mine when I couldn't stop thinking about it. I wanted to consume as much information about this movie as I can. And let me tell you something. Ari Esther is a ghost online. It's so hard to find information about my man. So, you know, any new bit of information about this movie that came out, I was like, 
consuming. I was like firmly up his ass. I think every other day I was talking about it. I was a stan for Hereditary, okay? Like, anybody that talks shit about the movie, I was like, you're stupid. You don't get it. It's art. <laughs> nah, for real. Because I was seeing a lot of, like, legitimately bad hot takes. And, and you know what? I'll just I'll also say this, too. When the movie came out, people were shitting on it. Oh, yeah. No, it did not get a positive people reception when it first came out. People shat on this movie. And now, it's like a cult classic. Everyone loves it. They're like hereditary, so good, so good. I think Midsummer gave it a little bit of a push. Yeah, Midsummer gave it a little bit of a push, but everyone was just like, "This is so good, this is so good, this is so good." And um, <laughs> but when it came out, everyone was like, "Yo, this shit's whack. Like this thing, this is horrible. This isn't really scary. This isn't really good." And so I was like watching all these like hot takes. I'm thinking to myself like, "Yo." Y'all just don't get it. Mm. But then I started noticing like this weird trend of people shitting on horror films that come out. And then like a couple years pass and they're like, this is great. This is amazing. Because then Scream bombed. Scream bombed when it first came out until people started talking about like the plot twist. And then everyone was like, now we got to go see Scream. And it is so interesting to see how people do that with anything that's different. And I think that's also why Hereditary got so much shit. It's because it's different. Why do you think that is? The emotions are very realistic to me. And sometimes the setup to the big explosion in his films are very realistic. Mm -hmm. Even if the villain of the film isn't realistic, the emotions are. And I think that is what's the most disturbing. There's never this like unrealistic reaction in his films. You know what I mean? I feel you. It, it's because he defines them all. All of it is defined in a very personal way for yes. all of the characters. Yes. You understand the characters psychologically deeply before so much of the gratuitous stuff exactly. goes down. Exactly. Which is why I mean, her, which is why all the images in Hereditary fuck me up so deeply. Yeah. Watching a dysfunctional family go through hell when you yourself may not have come from a dysfunctional family fucks you up because yeah, you're like straight. your mom can actually like yo your parents do this shit to you it's like yeah it's normal but it's also i would venture to say all families have dysfunctions like yeah. big or small of course because that's just humans yeah, human that's beings just yeah, yeah human beings have conflict and clash with each other and yeah. they're naturally going to have dysfunction. So all families have dysfunction. And if you say that yours doesn't, you're a liar. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the beginning of the film, the dysfunction is very minute yeah. with the family. It's very like traditional dysfunction, yeah. like all kind of awkward. Yeah, like, the, mom, the mom and the yeah. grandmother had some conflict that was prevalent off screen. Right. The dysfunction is immediately apparent, Yeah, but it is sort of in the repressed way that a lot of families are very dysfunctional. Yeah. And I and like I don't come from a like my family, thank God, is is doing very well. And like we ultim we all love each other. But like we all have these like minute dysfunctions that have grown into these like kind of inner rifts that like we don't want to talk about them because we know that they're problems. We don't want yeah. to address them. So he captures that so brilliantly. So even people whose families haven't gone through things as, such as dramatic as, as your experiences still see themselves. It's like the people who don't yeah. have as much dysfunction, they see it and they're like, oh, yep, this is me. And the people who have had so much dysfunction that it causes trauma, they're like, oh, yeah, I immediately understand what this is. Rewatching this film so many times, it hits me that the dad is so emotionally detached yeah. from everyone. 
like he he's like emo it's almost like he's emotionally dead and the mom is dealing with so much generational trauma herself that she is like a void like she's there physically but mentally she's checked out from her family and everything and i feel like that's even more clear when she's doing her the eulogy mm-hmm. at the funeral and even the brother like everyone is so quiet yeah for a family that has a teenager and you know an adolescent child it's quiet yeah there's no music there's no teenage music there's no like quirky hobbies it's just somber the family is very somber while the dysfunction we're seeing in the beginning of hereditary isn't severe it's clear that regardless of what happened in the film the breakdown of the family was going to happen oh inevitable yeah and all it took was that catalytic moment yeah and i really think in some way that's the true horrific nature of hereditary and here it comes we are officially entering spoiler territory for those of you who want to go into this film as fresh as possible this is where we part If you've been enjoying the show so far and you want more My Favorite Movie Is, I encourage you to check out more episodes on our show page on the podcasting app you're listening on right now. Or find all of our episodes at mfmipodcast.com. We've covered plenty of other movies, and any movie lover worth their salt has surely seen at least one of them. But alright, enough dilly-dallying. Let's dive into spoiler territory. I remember thinking to myself, this dude has some big cojones for some of the scenes that he had. I mean, let's be honest. There's not that many horror films that showcase a kid being murdered. Yeah. You know, I think I can barely count on both hands unless, you know, some 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 viewers may say, bitch, I can count on both my hands and my toes. And that's cool. <laughs> like, that's fine. If that's what you into, that's fine. I personally do not like shit that deals with children. Me, but Me neither. But, you know, I can count on, like, maybe both hands barely the amount of films I've seen where children were directly hurt. Especially and, in this manner. Especially, how the film does yeah, it. Yeah, especially in this manner. But this one just felt, like, fucked up in the sense of it was fucked up, but not unimaginable. <laughs> mm, I mean. Close to home, you're saying? Yeah, not for my, not in my with my family. None of my siblings tried to kill me. The emo- in the emotional in, in, sense. In the emotional sense, yeah. I mean, you know, it's not uncommon for, you know, accidents to happen with children. And how does a family come up from that? My child killed my other child. What do you do? Even if it was an accident, what do you do? That's still your child, but they killed your, ba- your baby. In the movie Peter, his sister is allergic to nuts. Charlie's allergic to nuts. And Peter takes Charlie to this high school party where she accidentally eats a piece of cake with nuts in it. What teenage party has a cake with nuts in it? 
Yeah, Nuts. I mean that. Yeah, I mean most teenagers. Um, you know, get a straightforward chocolate cake and be done with it. That's all. Unless I'm you go to the same, unless you're in the Euphoria universe, which then they will offer you a line of Coke <laughs> and and maybe a hand job in the bathroom. Uh, but uh, <laughs> speaking of shit, dealing with kids. Yeah, for, yo, honestly, that's oof. She accidentally eats this cake with nuts in it, and she's having a severe allergic reaction. And I just want to say, Peter is horrified. He's his baby sister suffocating to death, basically, mm-hmm. and he's panicked. He's rushing to try to drive her to the hospital. You know, he's freaking out. Charlie is a child, and she can't breathe. She's clawing at her neck, which is a horrible visual. Yeah. You know, regardless if you're a parent or not. She's clawing at her neck and she opens the window to try to get air. So she sticks her head out the window. Now, when I was growing up, my grandmother terrified me about doing shit like that. I used to stick my arm out the window and do like the wave. You know, I remember one time I was doing that and my grandmother was like, your arm's going to get caught on like a tree or like. My mom said the same thing. Are you going to get, it's going to get hit by a car and your arm's going to get detached. And that terrified the fuck out of me. (laughs) But I mean, let's be honest. Our parents say crazy shit like that all the time to scare us out of doing things they know we shouldn't be doing. So when you're seeing that scene, for me, subconsciously, I was like, she's going to get hit by something. And lo and behold, homegirl gets decapitated because Peter, in the midst of driving, sees a deer and he swerves to get out of the deer's way and her head hits a light pole or yeah, yeah, like a light pole and whack, her head's completely off. You know, it's funny when my aunt watched this with me for the first time, she was like, how the fuck can he just leave his sister's body like there for his parents to find? But he's in shock. Complete and utter shock. My man is like, I just murdered my sister. And he's awake the entire night just staring into the void. I do love that scene because the only thing he can do is just do what he would normally do, which is like go home and go to bed. so realistic. I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, when people are faced with a traumatic scene, they always say... I don't remember what happened. You know, there's people who've seen their family members shoot themselves in the head. And they're like, I just washed my hands from the blood. And Jackie Kennedy, mm-hmm. when her husband got shot, she was picking up his head. And there's interviews where she's like, I just thought if I could put it back together, he'd be okay. That's shock. That, you know, your brain is so overwhelmed with what happened. You're like, you start thinking in the most legitimately logical sense. And so Peter's like, if I go in my bed and I sleep, when I wake up, maybe it won't be real. And to me, that buildup is the most horrific thing I've seen in a horror film in such a long time. Because you hear the family go about their morning business and that growing you know you're like oh fuck especially when you hear the mom start talking about oh, i'm gonna go to the grocery store real quick you're like fuck 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 and then you just hear her scream and then you cut to this horrific visual of peter peeking from his room watching as his mom is screaming 
clawing at the clawing floor, like trying at the to floor, die, yeah. screaming about how she wants to die. Why couldn't it have been her? She doesn't want to be here anymore. I just want to die. It sounds like an animal being tortured. Her her screams and like sobbing is horrible to watch. How do you come back from that? You just heard your mom say she wished she was dead. How do you come back from that knowing you are the cause of that pain? And then a dinner scene where they're having this very tense dinner. And the dad's like, you know, he's, he's trying so hard because he gets both sides. He's trying so hard to mend this rift, you know. And the, and at this point, Peter's like acting out in, in a little bit. He's like, okay, I get it. You blame me. Like, just be honest with me. Just be honest with me. And she's like, there's something to talk about. There's something to talk about. You know, and then he gets a little a little bass in his voice. He gets a little testy. And then that's what like one of my favorite scenes in a film ever happened maybe one of the greatest performances of, given by yeah. a person in a horror film maybe one of the greatest like no cap yeah like that's not even me being like like hyping this shit up when i tell you the first time watching this i almost was like <laughs> props to tony props she to tony leaps up and she's like don't you swear at me you little shit don't you ever raise your voice at me i am your mother do you understand all I do is worry and slave and defend you. And all I get back is that fucking face on your face. And I'm like, you, you're, it's taking back. It's like, you're like, fuck, like this dude's going through it. And she's like yelling all these horrific things. But you know what? It was so realistic. That is catharsis. That scene yes. is so cathartic because it's like, it's finally bringing to the forefront of all, all these of these traumas that, they that they're dealing yeah. with. And like, you can just feel yeah. every fiber of her coming yeah. out of her when she's screaming. And like, it is a perfect cathartic moment in the piece because we're finally coming to a head about all of these problems. But the crazy thing about it, though, is it is a form of catharsis, but there's still trauma. There's, there's still there's trauma. Still, it, doesn't still really, trauma. S- it doesn't really solve anything. Yeah, there's still conflict. And... In a way, you could say it just made shit worse. <laughs> oh, it totally did. Because, like, she's yelling at her child. And she's basically like, And what a waste. If it could have maybe brought us together or something. If you could have just said, I'm sorry, or faced up to what happened. Maybe, Pam, we could do something with this. But you can't take responsibility for anything. So now I can't accept. And I can't forgive. Because, because nobody admits anything they've done. Ugh. What was the point? That is so of her just dying? just horrifying. Yeah. Like some yeah. people just legitimately cannot handle death. For real. And you know you have friends that are like, "I'll be there for you." You know, I support you. 
But when you watch someone, I don't want to say go psychotic, but when you watch someone like truly experience death, because it's different when, you know, you, your friend comes to, to, to school or whatever and they're just like, and my like great, 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 great grandpappy died. <laughs> I gotta go to, I'm, I'm out from school because I got to go to a funeral. You're like, okay, like, sorry for your loss. And they're like, yeah, we weren't that close. <laughs> You know that that's that's the door that's the doorable shit oh you're exposed God, to. Hell yeah, dude! But when Absolutely. I was in high school, one of my close friends lost her mother, and everyone was so fucking awkward towards her. I remember thinking, like, nothing you say is going to make her feel better. Nothing you say. Nothing. You like hounding her with affection that's not making her feel better and ironically i remember thinking to myself whoo i can't imagine what i would do if i go through that fast forward a couple of years and let me tell y'all something when you lose someone that is your entire world you go from being like la di da da like this, okay, I guess, to fuck the world, I want to watch that shit burn. Stop the world, I want to get off. Even if I'm the one burning with it. You go crazy. I was saying out-of-pocket shit when I was grieving. Just, I was going manic. I was going crazy. I wasn't a great person to be around. Like, and that's probably why that scene with Tony Collette hits you so hard. Yes, that is, that is That encapsulates how you felt. Yes. It encapsulates how I felt. And it encapsulates the shit I've said. Like, I was saying horrible things during that time period. And the thing with grief is there's no linear path. You have people that will go years with not showcasing any emotion. And that one day, it hits them. And you have other people that, that are just explosive. And I was that person. I was very explosive. For me, watching her scream at her child about how he's a little shit, how horrible he is. You know, all these things that she thought would make things better, but they didn't. I also saw my mother in that scene. And it was a little bit triggering. But also in a sense of, this is what she wants to say to like to me, and sometimes she does say say it, and other times it's like this look, it's this you know, this uninterested nature, you know, and and then that's when we get the scene where she comes into Peter's room at night. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. that, and then you understand why they're so distant with each other. Why do you hate me? Most parents in films or in life, when they have that question, they go, I don't hate you. But her response was, I never wanted to be your mother. And then she covers her mouth. That's such a great scene. Then why did you have me? It wasn't my fault. I tried to stop it. I tried to have a miscarriage. She can't hold it in anymore. She's like, I tried to kill you. And then that's when you're like, oh, that's when you start, start getting into their backstory. Yeah, she, she she tried to set herself and her son on fire, and the daughter, and the daughter, and it was the dad that stopped it. Now you get why the dad is so distant. Now you get why like the dad is kind of like, listen, I don't have to deal with this shit like anymore. 
you know, it's, it's like, well, shit, like, how, how do you recover from that as a family? And y'all just don't acknowledge it, like, at all? You know, and, and there's supernatural elements in Hereditary, of course. But, I mean, the scenes like that where it's just, you know, you, you're learning about why the family's so fucked up. You're like, well, goddamn. You know, and then the, and then the second half, it's, it starts going into, you know, the, the supernatural element. But I'm telling you, that first act, you know, where you we see the funeral of the grandmother. And then we see Tony Collette's character um, go to, like, that... Counseling. The counseling. Yeah, that, like the AA for grieving people. And she talks about her back... Like, her family's history with mental illness. And she talks about how her... What was it? Was it her brother or her dad? Yeah, her brother, yeah. So yeah, her, her brother starved himself to death. No, the, no, the father the, starved yeah, himself to the death. Fa- the brother hung himself. Yeah, the brothers, the, the dad starved himself to death because, and, and this connects to the second act, but because he felt like she was trying to force like a demon in him. And then the brother hung himself because he felt the same way. And, like, I was and like, it's so subtle it's so subtle that the grandmother isn't tied to all of these yeah it's so subtle because at first you're like damn the grandmother must have been through fucking a lot until you realize like this bitch was the puppet master yeah she she was her and her culty stuff yeah her and her culty stuff like they were the puppet masters but i mean take away the cult aspect that's fucked up (laughs) so you get why tony collette's character is kind of like emotionally dead inside i mean as a child how do you grow from that she was a product of trauma and she's trying to navigate it in a way that isn't disruptive, that isn't like, you know, mm-hmm. ruining other people, but she doesn't quite manage it. And so she was doomed from the start. It's a tragedy in its greatest sense because really? you realize upon second viewing of the film she was never going to. Yeah, she literally lives in her trauma, like yeah. her job. She recreates those scenes in, yeah. in miniature. She lives in it. She lives in her trauma, and she was going to die from her trauma. Are you enjoying this episode of My Favorite Movie Is? Did you wish it was jam-packed with even more insightful conversation and no ads to interrupt? Well, you're in luck. If you sign up for our Patreon right now, you can get access to an ad-free and uncut version of this episode, featuring our full conversation from when we started rolling to when we cut. You'll also get access to other cool perks like commentary tracks, personalized video shoutouts, and access to the Patron Zone in our Discord community, in which you can see early drafts and works in progress and help give us feedback to make the show even better. And if you can believe it, all of this is available for just $5 a month. Go to patreon.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes to become a patron today. Now, back to the show. Would you be where we are today without the film and why not? I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure because I think when I saw Hereditary, that's when I started thinking seriously on the concept of generational trauma. I always saw it like thrown out on Twitter when, when bitches were like, I'm a bitch because my mom's a bitch. It's like, okay, like. All right, generational trauma. Eh. But then upon watching Hereditary, I feel like that was the first scene in which I saw this dysfunctional mother and child relationship can fade. You know, my mom's not a horrible person. She just never quite managed to 
reconcile with her own trauma that she went through. And because of that, it has spilled on to me and my siblings. And because of that, we all don't really necessarily have a great relationship. That's the surface level of which I'll get into it. Um, and there have been many moments in my life where that scene, that that dinner scene, that was, a, I don't, I don't want to say a common uh, um, situation, but that wasn't outlandish. That wasn't outlandish. When you have a relationship like that with a parental figurehead, it's so hard to navigate because you know that they're this way because of trauma. On some parts, it's not them right. that's lashing out on, at, at you. But then at the same token, you're like, but you can stop that. It's so easy to feed into that curse of, well, you know, perfect example. Like your parents will say, well, my mom and dad beat me, so I'm going to beat you. Why? Like, why do you have to continue that trend? Because your parents did it? Did it really work out for you? Do you have a good relationship with your parents? When you start realizing that people can kind of stop it with them if they work on themselves, which isn't easy. It's not easy acknowledging, you know, the shitty side of you. It's hard. And you have to come to terms with what you've done while dealing with this trauma. So seeing hereditary and seeing the way it was able to convey a dysfunctional family where there wasn't cursing, there actually wasn't a lot of yelling, there wasn't a lot of arguments, actually. That, that dinner scene is probably the most explosive yeah, scene. Yeah, the dinner scene is literally the most explosive scene we get concerning the family. But outside of that, it's, it's like this, I'm not going to say this weird level of tension. I feel like all family has tension. Right. Um, it's just, you know, this this sense of detachment. But again, like... You know, nowadays, that's not so outlandish for everyone to be disconnected. So to see this dysfunctional family conveyed so realistically, it was refreshing. And it also gave me a stepping stone in me starting to seriously think to myself, I don't want to be like that. Because Toni Collette's character didn't want to be like her mother. But she didn't really try to separate her trauma. She just kind of allowed it to fester. Yeah, I feel like it gave me like this visual kick in the ass to start thinking seriously about my relationships with my family and, and those around me and, and all of their stuff. And I appreciate Ari Esther for that. It's so easy when you start talking about like, Traumatic events are so easy for people, especially if they're close to you, for people to be like, well, fuck that person. Right. Like, if I yeah. dive deep into the relationship with my mother and everything, I'm pretty sure everyone would be like, yo, fuck your mom. But I don't want that. It's complex enough. But also, if I'm at peace with where things are, then you shouldn't be, like, so hostile to things. Like, if people are at peace with a situation that they're in, why are you so hostile about it? If they're cool with it, then leave it alone. Sometimes it's best to just let things go and let things happen 
So I'm very at peace. And I feel like Ari Esther as well is very at peace. Oh, totally. With everything. You could not harness this kind of imagery and stuff without without being, having some yeah, closure. Without being at peace with it. And so that's why I really respect him as not just a director, but just as an artist. Ari's just like, I went through some shit. This is how it happened. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be fucked up. It's completely normal. No one in the history of mankind is always happy. It's okay. It's okay to make media pieces that talk about those things. And they don't necessarily always have to be these super depressing things. Like, you can really dive deep in the tragedy of human nature but you can accept it i think we're so concerned with making sure everything seemed okay and hereditary was really like it's not okay and sometimes even when you try your hardest it'll never work out it'll never work out but I also feel like with Hereditary, one of the lessons I took away from it was that if you don't get a hold on your trauma and figure out how to navigate it, it will consume not just you, but those around you. And from experience, I can say that is fucking true. It's easy to wallow in your negative emotions. But then when you step back from it, I mean, how do you think the people around you feel? If every time you engage with them or they're around you, it's just straight up depression. You don't have to justify every emotion. Like there's nothing justifiable for telling your child that you don't hate them, you just didn't want them. There's nothing justifiable, you know, screaming about how you thought your one of your children's death would brought the family together, but it did nothing. There's nothing justifiable in anything Tony Collette did in that movie. But just because it's not justifiable doesn't mean that you can't understand it. Sonari, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, thanks for, for talking about thanks hereditary. Thanks for having me, dude. I love your podcast. I Thank really you, do. Man. My aunt is like vibrating at home to watch this episode. It's going to be a good one. She, you know, I'm just honestly happy that she wanted to hear me talk about her. You had so much good. You had so many good things to say. Uh, you know, I'm not the most articulate guy, but you did it. I was like, you know, for Larry, I'm going to put my big girl hat on. <laughs> <laughs> you know how hard it was for me not to curse and just not be like, you frolic. okay, but you did curse a I lot. I did curse, but like compared to like how I am normally. Yeah, no, like definitely. my jokes, I toned down because I was like professional. You definitely, you definitely toned it down. Um, Sonari, just plug where people can find you. Okay, so you can find me on Sonasium, um, on Instagram. Do you spell that for the good people? Yes, it's spelled S E N A. Great. Love that. <laughs> wait, wait. I I S M, right? S E N A I I S M on Instagram. On Instagram. Her art is fantastic. Her illustration is amazing. Follow her. Yeah. All thanks right. for having me. Pleasure to have you. 
<sighs> okay, so that was a pretty heavy episode. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Felt like a bit of a therapy session. Now, you know, I think Sonari's story is incredibly inspiring, which is why I wanted to share it with all of you. But I understand that some of you may not have expected us to go that deep. You know, we got a little depressing, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable. But that's really what this episode is all about. Confronting what makes us uncomfortable with honesty and hope. Maybe even a little bit of humor. Not every movie is going to make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. You know, some of them may confuse you. You know, as Sonari said so elegantly before, it's okay not to be okay. And it's helpful to talk about that with other people, especially fellow movie lovers who have likely had similar experiences at the cinema just like this. And that's why I started the My Favorite Movie Is Discord community to have some fun, crack some jokes here and there, but ultimately, at the end of the day, have meaningful conversations about all kinds of movies, even the ones that challenge us. In fact, we as a community watched Hereditary in anticipation of this very episode, and um, needless to say, a few therapy sessions went down afterwards. Movie fans need to stick together, and we are here for you. Click on the link in the show notes and join us at the free My Favorite Movie Is Discord community. I can't wait to see you. Now, on a much lighter note, <laughs> on the next episode, we're tackling a big kahuna. It's Star Wars time, baby. Specifically, episode four, A New Hope, with none other than Michael Tucker, creator and host of Lessons from the Screenplay. Be sure to give that movie a rewatch before our conversation drops on May 23rd, the Monday before Kenobi, funny enough. Or you can join us in the free My Favorite Movie Is Discord community so you can join fellow fans of the show in our community watch-along. We stream the movie in Discord. It's a ton of fun. And you can find out more details on when that's happening and how you can join us by clicking the link in the show notes. My Favorite Movie Is is a Larry Freed Presents production. It was created by and is currently produced and hosted by me, Larry Freed. Our sound recordist for this episode was Steven Reyes, and our editor for this episode was Fernando Queiroz. Our graphic designer is Monica Sarmiento. Our motion graphics designer is Elton Greenfield. And our theme song, Now and Then, as well as all original music featured on this show, is composed and performed by Matt Gorduk. A special thank you to Sonari for being just an incredible guest and also being so generous with sharing her deeply personal story with us. And a special thanks to everybody who gave me feedback on this episode before it was released, including our patrons, Keith, Tony, Mo, Sean, and Taylor. You guys are literally helping to make this show possible. If you are interested in supporting My Favorite Movie Is and getting some exclusive benefits in the process, you can join us at patreon.com slash MFMI podcast. My name is Larry Freed, and this has been My Favorite Movie Is.